0: Hi, and welcome to the Saturday, November 30th regular season finale rivalry week edition of the Land Grant Holy Land Tailgate podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Every Ohio State football game day this season, I have been kicking off your morning with all of the details that you will need to be prepared for that day's contest, whether you are watching the game at the shoe, road tripping to an away game, or enjoying it from the comforts of your own home. However, I have not been doing it all on my own as every week I've been joined by 610 WTVN sports reporter the legendary Lori Schmidt for her unique insights into the game with a peek under the hat. This afternoon, the top-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes will put their undefeated 11-0 record on the line as they travel to the state up north to play their rivals who are themselves number 13 in the country and enter the game at 9-2. The game will be Fox's Big Noon Game of the Week, and for the second time in a row and the third game this season, the network's Big Noon kickoff will be on hand in Ann Arbor. So Rob Stone, Brady Quinn, Matt Leinert, Reggie Bush, and our own Urban Meyer will be joined by Ohio native and yellow and blue turncoat Charles Woodson on the set. On the call will be Detroit's own Gus Johnson with Joel Klatt providing color commentary and the All-American woman Jenny Taft reporting from the sidelines. As always, the game can be heard on both 97.1 FM and 1460 AM, where the voice of the Buckeyes' Paul Keels will be on the call, along with Ohio State legend Jim Lachey supplying color commentary and Matt Andrews on the sideline reporting. The temperature up in the mitten state will be around 35 degrees when the game kicks off, but it will feel about 27. The chances for precipitation have dropped dramatically. For most of the week, we were expecting a heavy dose of the proverbial wintry mix. But as of recording time, the massive front that was rolling its way through the Great Plains and Midwest overnight is no longer expected to hit Ann Arbor. But then again, weather in the Midwest is fickle, so it will probably change four or five times before kickoff. The betting line for the game opened with Ohio State as nine point favorites, according to Bovada, but after some early fluctuation downward, the smart money has the number up to nine and a half points. There are online sports books offering nine points still, though, if the hook is important in your betting decision. The over under for the game is set at 50 points with pretty much all of the sports books. Following eight straight covers beginning in Week 2, Ohio State has failed to beat the spread in the last two games, despite winning against Rutgers and Penn State. OSU's rivals, on the other hand, have covered in their last five games, making it 7-11 of 11 on the season. We will have much more on the Weasels' record on the season shortly. But first, on Friday, the Ohio State Athletic Department released the Buckeyes' depth chart and availability report, and it looks like... Either the Buckeyes have gotten pretty healthy in the last few weeks, or head coach Ryan Day is erring on the side of providing as little information as possible, because almost none of the contributors that have been banged up recently appear on the list this week. Players like Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning, Austin Mack, Joshua Alabi, etc. are all listed as good to go. The one player on the two deep that has been ruled out for the game is sophomore safety Josh Proctor. He will be unavailable for the second week in a row. Starting slot, cornerback Sean Wade, however, is listed as a game-time decision. We will talk more about that with Laurie Schmidt here shortly. And if he is unavailable, that will be a significant loss for the Buckeye defense. Now, Despite injury concerns stemming from the Penn State game, Justin Fields is not listed on the report, and though he is listed as available as a co-starter at defensive end, we do not know whether Cooper will play. Last week, it was announced that he would redshirt this season in order to come back for a fifth year in 2020. He has only played in three games thus far in 2019, so he is able to play in one more game before his redshirt options would be burned. The other players on the inactive list include wide receiver Cameron Babb, third string running back Marcus Crowley, offensive lineman Gavin Cup, defensive tackle Noah Donald, wide receiver Elijah Gardner, safety Ronnie Hickman, offensive lineman Matthew Jones, H-back senior captain C.J. Saunders, and defensive tackle Teron Vincent. Ohio State's rival has had an up-and-down season. In Week 2, they were a missed field goal at the buzzer away from going to overtime against Army, and the following week, they lost 35-14 to the Wisconsin Badgers. Then, after three wins in a row, their season turned against Penn State. After spotting the Nittany Lions 21 points before intermission, the team up north came out of the locker room with a renewed sense of purpose. While they still lost to the nits 28-21, to they have appeared to be a different team on both sides of the ball ever since, beating Notre Dame, Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana handily over the past month. The gold and blue come into the regular season finale, averaging 33.5 points per game, good for 35th nationally, while allowing just 16.2 points per outing, which is 12th in the country. We will get into the numbers a bit more shortly, but before we do, after a quick break, 610 WTVN's legendary sports reporter Lori Schmidt will join me to break down the game. We are joined now for the final time in the regular season by 610 WTVN's Lori Schmidt. Lori, happy Thanksgiving. I hope your, your Thanksgiving was wonderful and food-filled.
1: It was an outstanding day. I got to give thanks for for this podcast and for all our listeners and for many other things. It's uh, It's been a tough year, but it was nice to have a day where I can be reminded that even in a tough year, I've had many things to be grateful for.
0: That's wonderful. Well, uh, I'm glad to hear that. And as we move forward from Thursday into Saturday, this game is obviously quite a bit different for you uh, than it is for me. You are a dispassionate journalist who is a graduate of Ohio University. I am an Ohio State alum who is the child of two Ohio State alums. So we approach this game slightly differently, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Mm -hmm. uh, it is exciting nonetheless. I would imagine that there even for away games and stuff, there's probably a different feel for even the people on the beat than, than there is from the rest of the regular season.
1: I know I put in extra time on researching Michigan this week. I, I really did. I mean, and as you said, I'm an impartial journalist. It's I'm an Ohio Bobcat, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have a dog in this fight. I like everyone. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself putting in extra work this week because you just got to get in the film room. Yeah. If if you're anyway tied to this game, you want to be on your P's and Q's. So yes, you can even feel it as a, as an impartial observer.
0: That's the way it should be. Urban Meyer would be very proud of you. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I did my plus two, Urban. I did my plus two. I have two more pages of notes than I normally have, and Meg can vouch for that.
0: <laughs> yes, I do. I have them in front of me. Um, before we get into those notes, though, Lori, I, I want to talk about the... I don't know if it's the big news, but uh, one of the bigger news pieces that came out on Friday morning with the release of the uh, depth chart and availability report. For the most part, a lot of the players who have been in and out of the available, unavailable list are pretty much available. The one addition to the list this week, Laurie, is that cornerback Sean Wade is listed as a game time decision now. Sean Wade, I guess you could say he's the third starting cornerback, the slot cornerback, um, and is one of the best athletes on the team. He's strong. He's quick. So having him potentially out for the game against Michigan, which has a, a pretty impressive group of receivers, um, that could be somewhat of a difference maker for the team uh, coming in the game later today. So what do you know or think about the inclusion of Sean Wade on this availability report?
1: I don't think it's a good sign for the Buckeyes because I don't think he gets listed unless there's a very good chance that he misses this game. I mean, you think of it, the intention that the point of this injury report is so that reporters don't feel snookered on game day about the availability of a player. It's, it's sort of the same intention as an NFL injury report, just so you don't go into a game and, and be like, well, where's this guy? I just came out of nowhere. So, With that being the background, I don't think Ohio State lists someone on that injury report unless there's a very good chance that they are going to miss that upcoming game. And Sean Wade being listed as a game time decision, I, I would guess, and to be clear, it is just a guess at this point because we don't have any more information from OSU, but I would guess it's unlikely that he sees the field against the Wolverines, which, as you hmm. mentioned, Michigan has four receivers with 20-plus catches. You need all the depth in your defensive backfield that you can manage. Sean Wade's injury would hurt.
0: Yeah, if if Sean Wade is out, I imagine that means we see seven banks getting a lot more playing time, uh, Amir Reap maybe – uh, coming in as well, but, uh, certainly would like to have Sean Wade, who is a junior, experienced, one of the best players on the defense, at least athletically, uh, would definitely like to have him in. And, and like you said, if, even if he does play, you would have to imagine that he's not going to be 100%. I mean, obviously, if he's listed as a game time decision, he's not completely ready to go. So that is uh, a bit concerning for Buckeye fans, but we will obviously have to wait and see what happens if he enters the game around 12 noon Eastern time.
1: The other. I injury- also want to mention Jonathan Cooper, because mm-hmm. you you brought right. him up earlier. Um, just remember, he's a guy for, I'm, I'm sure you remember what I'm telling the, as far our listeners to remember is that he's a guy that's already announced his intention to return next year using a medical red shirt for this year. Therefore, he can only play in one more game. Whether Ohio State decides this is the game <laughs> they want to use him in Surprise. is a very good question because they also have the Big Ten championship and whatever lies beyond that as a possibility for him.
0: I, you went out on, on a limb and, and made a guess that Sean Wade would not play in this game. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we will not see Jonathan Cooper until the playoffs. Um, playing him in this game against Michigan really serves no tangible logistical purpose other than maybe making him feel like it's important to play in the Michigan game. Ohio state is already going to the big 10 championship game. As long as they win that game, they can probably still make the playoffs even with a loss against Michigan. So if there's no real benefit for him playing in this game. They should be able to win. I would imagine, the Big Ten Championship game without him, especially because the backups at defensive end, whether that's Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, have played tremendously in his absence. Uh, so I would imagine that we don't see him until the semifinals, maybe even the finals. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Those are just guesses, just like you said with uh, with Sean Wade.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it- to be clear, we are speculating at this point, which is all we can do with the information that we have.
0: Yes, thank you, dispassionate journalist, Lori. Um, so <laughs> the other bit of injury news comes out of the game uh, that Ohio State had against Penn State last weekend, in which Justin Fields, on more than one occasion, appeared to sustain some sort of some sort of injury, not necessarily anything that kept him out of the game, although we did see on his first fumble diving into the end zone the helmet of a Penn State defender. Hit his left non-throwing hand, and he seemed to be wincing in pain and shaking it off throughout the course of the contest. And then late in the game in the fourth quarter, trying to evade a sack, which he was eventually uh, unsuccessful in doing, seemed to hurt his lower leg, uh, had to be helped off the field, but he didn't come back on the next drive to take the knee. He is not listed as a game time decision. He is not listed as unavailable. So there's not a ton of news I can expect uh, for for you to have on Justin Fields' Laurie other than the fact that he's gonna play, and he was seen in some videos that are they put out marching with the marching band. So he seems not too worse for wear, at least.
1: Yeah, his teammates said that they are impressed with the toughness they've seen too. So I I would say his teammates seem very reassured by what they've witnessed from Justin Fields since Saturday's various dust-ups with Penn State. Um, as you mentioned, he he did appear to hurt his lower leg at one point. We should mention that he actually jogged off the field. And yes. I think I I, and I was down there on the field when it happened that that, that was a very, very um, conscious decision by Justin Fields at that point, where he wanted to show people that he was fine. He didn't just do it because he wanted to get off the field quickly, <laughs> you know? He wanted to send a message at that point. Um, I think that was important to him. And, it, you know, his teammates, message sent, message received. He's a tough guy.
0: Yeah, and that's something that actually happened during a commercial break. So if people were watching the game, they didn't see that. Uh, and I think, I can't remember if the, the broadcast actually mentioned that he ran off or jogged off or not, but uh, knowing that he was not... You know, had his arm around two trainers or something, limping off the field is is probably a uh, a a big deal for a lot of fans, and certainly sent a message to everybody who was watching the game.
1: It was one of the loudest roars of applause that afternoon huh. was when Justin actually ran off. So uh, yeah, it was noticeable to the fans at the shoe. Uh, it's a shame that television viewers didn't get to appreciate that.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to tease an article that I have coming out later on Saturday before the game that talks about people's reactions to the Fox broadcast this season. So check that out. There, there's been a a wide range of opinions on this. So, but we'll get, we'll get to that on, on Saturday morning. But Laurie, let's turn our attention to this game. This is uh, an interesting contest. Ohio State, as we talked about last week, is one of the most dominant teams, not only in college football this season, but in recent memory and perhaps all of college football history. They enter the game on a pretty impressive streak in terms of their defense. Um, And I think, especially with the way that the weather is shaping up, it might be a a trend that continues uh, on Saturday as well.
1: I know that we discussed last week how um, Ohio State had managed to win their first 10 games by 24 points, and, and no team had done that since 1971 Nebraska. Well, 71 Nebraska in their 11th game won by three. Ohio State, with three turnovers, still managed to win by what was 11?
0: Yeah, 11 points.
1: Against against a top, top 10 team. opponent yeah. that, that the college football playoff committee still respects highly even after that loss. So, um, yes, we, we've discussed this run of dominance. And another sign of that dominance is that through the first 11 games this season, Ohio State hasn't allowed an opponent to gain more than 300 yards against them which is something that hasn't been done since 1996 by any other team other than one, one other team outside the Buckeyes has done it. And that's 2019 uh, Clemson. So So this year, uh, this year. So this year's, this year's (laughs) Clemson squad. Um, So they are in rare error when it comes to that. Um, And I I know that we've discussed Clemson's strength of schedule um, this year being, yay.
0: That's fair. Okay. Yeah. That's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um I, just on a on a word about strength of schedule, it's very interesting going into this game that both the Michigan Wolverines and Ohio State Buckeyes have faced opponents with a winning percentage just a kick above sixty three percent. So they, they are facing a very similar strength of schedule. So when we look at Michigan's record having lost two and Ohio State's record being perfect that's against a fairly comparable schedule.
0: Yeah. And uh, we've talked about before that, well, I've talked about on, on some other podcasts that the Michigan team that we are seeing. Are you cheating on me? No, no, there's other, other podcasts <laughs> in this feed. There are other things that we do here at land grant You're, It It's doesn't completely uh, revolve around you, although I wish it could. Um, but um the Michigan team that we are seeing late in the season is far different than it was earlier in the season. In fact, in the last four games, they have played in- incredibly well on both sides uh, of the ball. Now, you can argue that the teams that they've played, Maryland, uh, Notre Dame, which is you know kind of the outlier, Michigan State, and Indiana haven't exactly been the best of competition. But the last four games have been four and a half games, even if you go to halftime of the Penn State game, have really, really been impressive for the Wolverines.
1: Yeah, they have been. And and I would actually say Indiana is a pretty darn good opponent. They have been much better than we Definitely. thought they would be this yes. year. Um, I think some Ohio State fans kind of lost track of the Hoosiers after the Buckeyes went against them, but they've they've done well. So um, and in fact, Ohio State should should keep an eye on them just because whether they end up being ranked or not will affect how the playoff committee views Ohio State's schedule as the way that they view lsu's schedule when they're weighing those two teams there at the end um but yes michigan has has stood out in many areas they they haven't allowed a defensive touchdown they they've allowed a special team score but they haven't allowed a defensive touchdown in 10 straight quarters they have had four straight games where they have scored 38 plus they seem to have things moving at a fairly good clip the one area and i find this very interesting where they have not shored up things is in their run game, which is so crucial when Ohio State and mm-hmm. Michigan meets. It's It's been since at least 2000 that the, the team that has lost the run game has won in terms of the final score. So that is a crucial stat, and Michigan's run game is not picking up. In their first four games this season, they averaged 3.48 yards per carry. The next four games, they have uh, averaged 4.8 per carry in their subsequent three games, these last three that they have played, they've averaged just 3.35 yards per carry. So they're actually um, not improving offensively in terms of their run game, maybe partly because they're relying mostly on a freshman and sophomore to carry the ball. Uh, And, and Shea Patterson is not helping there. Exactly. He has fewer rushing yards than his backup. Um, And I know part of that is his numbers have been affected by the number of sacks he's absorbed, but still, that is something that if Ohio State can win that battle on Saturday, that bodes very well for them.
0: I had to look this up. I mean, I believe you. But the fact that Ohio State outrushed Michigan last year when the rushing game was not a strength for Ohio State is crazy to me. But they did. It was 170, 171 to 161. Um, that's that. I would not have thought that. I didn't realize that. Uh, but I guess that also goes to show how – much Ohio state got out to a huge lead in that game and forced them to throw the ball 34 times last season. So, uh, that's a great stat. So, uh, good digging there, Lori. Um, you mentioned the fact that um, they are led by a freshman running back, that Zach Charbonnet, um, who's been a bit injured on and off through throughout the season. Who else on that offense besides him and Shea Patterson should Buckeye fans keep an eye on in terms of maybe busting open some plays and scoring some points for uh, that team up north?
1: I definitely think that one of the players to keep an eye on offensively is Nico Collins, who is their deep threat. He's averaging over 20 yards per catch. He has seven TDs. So he's, he's their electric guy. And then they have two guys that they were sort of their old reliables when it comes to receiving the ball, Ronnie Bell and Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, are both guys that average over three catches per game. Um, they have a, a tight end that, uh, averages nearly two catches a game, so they will involve their, their tight ends in, in the passing game too. So those are some players to keep an eye on offensively for the Wolverines.
0: Now, flipping over from the offense to the defensive side of the ball, one of the things that I think was most concerning coming out of the Penn State game for Buckeye fans is the inconsistency from the pass rush on the offensive line for Ohio State. Um, I think a lot of that can be attributed to some injuries uh, to Thayer Munford and to uh, Baron Browning uh, at both of the tackle spots. They both had rough games against the Nittany Lions, uh, but that does not especially help when you're going against this Michigan defense, which is very, very good at putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, they're 12th nationally in sacks per game. They're averaging over three contests, 3.18. So uh, they are a team that gets – uh, to the opponent's backfield, and they do so with a variety of different players, Matt. Their, their leader in sacks is actually a linebacker, so, and they have uh, a defensive back uh, who has three tackles for loss. They have a corner with three tackles for loss, so they, they bring pressure in ways. It's not just their front guys who will try to get into the opponent's backfield when it comes to Michigan.
0: I, that's the one thing that concerns me most about this. I, I, Bill Landis made a point on his podcast. And yes, Laurie, I do listen to podcasts that I'm not on. Um, and he, <laughs> he mentioned the fact that last year while both of these teams are different teams, they have different schemes that the main difference between Ohio state and Michigan was the athleticism and the speed. And while obviously a lot of the players, especially on Ohio state's offense, that were those speed guys are gone. uh, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, all of those big play guys, the defense for Michigan is still pretty much the exact same. Now, obviously Ohio state fans know how much a scheme change can impact a defense's performance, even if the same players are mostly there. Um, but the the one thing that really concerns me is is Ohio State's ability to keep the Michigan defenders out of the backfield because we know Justin Fields can escape uh, as well as anybody in the country, but we also know that he holds onto the ball probably longer than a lot of people would like him to uh, at times. Did did Ryan Day at all address the fact that Fields did hold onto the ball a little bit too much against Penn State and and if there's anything to think that he might. Change that up, moving into uh, the last regular season game this weekend.
1: Well, I definitely know that Ryan Day thought that he held on to the ball too long on the play where he got injured at the very end on the on the fourth down. He would have loved to have seen Justin throw that away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that there's at least one play that he was talking to Justin about. Hey, let's let's be smart here. Let's let's not take an unnecessary hit. So, yes, I, I know that that for sure has been something that Ryan Day and Justin Fields have talked about this week. Um, Michigan, they they not only get into opponents' backfield, there are a number of ways that they can make uh, things tough on an opposing quarterback. They've batted down eight passes. Their defensive linemen have batted down eight passes at the line of scrimmage. I, I think that's a fairly impressive number. They, they're a, a team... They each of their corners has their starting corners has three picks this year. They they can they can force you to turn over the ball. Uh, and of those corners, one of them has six career picks, Lavert Hill. He's returned two of those for TDs, so he can make you pay, uh, both by forcing you to cough up the ball and then by scoring. Um, and, and then as I mentioned before, Ambry Thomas, their other starting cornerback. He's actually one of those guys that can get into the backfield. He He's a little, his play is a little bit reminiscent of Sean Wade. Both of those guys have three tackles for loss. So they, they do have a number of ways that they can make life miserable for an opposing offense. Although no one has really made life miserable for the Buckeyes this year, just to be fair to OSU. Yeah,
0: other than themselves. I mean, with those turnovers against Penn State, yeah. that's really all it was. As um, everything else went to, uh, according to Hoyle uh other than those three
1: turnovers and defensively i would say and i think this pretty much happens every time that this you see this in a game when the backup quarterback came in and he wasn't a guy (laughs) that they were expecting you saw a period of adjustment yeah right you saw a period of adjustment and i've been on this beat for nearly two decades now i think every time i have seen a backup quarterback that was not expected to play come in, you have seen that exact same thing. There's been this, like, oh, what is going on? And there's been a period of adjustment. I think Ohio State made that adjustment fairly quickly. But, yeah, there were some plays in there where you were like, this doesn't look like the Ohio State defense that we're used to seeing this year.
0: Yeah, there are flashbacks of a certain Michigan State games that flashed through my mind during that, uh, during yeah. that especially that one long extended drive that they had. But, um, yes. So that's the on-the-field stuff, Laurie, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about the off-field approach to this game. So much was made over the past seven years about how Urban Meyer approached the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. And I, I think for somebody who had the background of Urban Meyer, that makes total sense. An Ohio guy who coached under Earl Bruce, who coached under Woody Hayes, he grew up idolizing Woody Hayes, it makes sense that he has a, a deeper attachment to this rivalry than someone like Ryan Day, who grew up in New Hampshire. What have you seen or heard? I know this was a, a big topic of conversation at the Tuesday press conferences. What do the team say about how their approach to the rivalry this mm-hmm. year was the same or different um, than it had been in the previous seasons under Urban Meyer?
1: I guess Ryan Day isn't playing the song, It's Time for War, quite as much at the Woody Hayes. Um, but, <laughs> it's not on uh, other a loop that, 24-7. That was all that the players would hear in previous seasons. I guess that's not quite the case now. But other than that, the approach to playing the Michigan game has apparently not varied for the Buckeyes, uh, which is interesting because I've talked about this this year. It's the one thing that I'm really curious to see Ryan Day do. Because he has been great at getting everyone to approach every game the exact same way. So when it comes now to a game that you don't want to approach the exact same way, where you want to say this is something special, it's something different, it's something new, you want to kick it up a notch, can he do that? Um, I know that as New Hampshire's quarterback in their big rivalry game against Maine, it didn't go so well for Ryan Day. They were... They were one and two in games where he started. So, and it was really funny to me because he, he told the reporters that asked him about that, that he thought that he might be one and two, but he would have to look it up. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah he knows that they were one and two because I think they had 117 points scored against them in the two games well, that Lori, they lost. Lori, why I, are I, you I, I telling
0: get... people this? Ryan Day is never going to have you called on for a question ever again in a press conference.
1: I did not notice when I asked about the battle for the musket. It, <laughs> was, it was totally coming out of a place of innocence. I, I was not trying to harass him, but I, I am curious to see how his approach works in in a rivalry game. I've been eager to see that. And I think he has learned from the best. Um, And he is one of the smartest guys I have ever covered as a coach. So if anyone can can make it work, I think he can. Um, He is definitely a guy that is, he he makes adjustments is the other thing. He's not so proud that he is not willing to make an adjustment or, 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 take a new attitude or change in style. Uh, I, I very much like that about him. So I think he can do it, but I'm curious to see it because it's just something that I haven't seen yet because yeah. of sample size. I mean, it's his first year. Um, but his ver- his first Michigan game, man, I'm I'm eager to watch because you put two dogs in an arena and throw a bone out there, I wouldn't discount the one that hasn't had a bone in seven years. Right? Yeah. But you've got Ryan Day who's got the sleek, well trained, muscular outfit. And I can't roll them out either. So it's just going to be an exciting contest on Saturday. I am very eager to watch it. Um I and you talk about the off field approach. We had the Marcus Ray on uh, six ten W T V N this week since we're all plugging all our own properties this week. Yes, please do. Um, he was on Buck's line on Wednesday, and I thought he had a great quote about the way that they approach this game in Michigan. He said, just to, be, just to game, be clear,
0: Marcus Ray is a former Michigan football player who's from Columbus originally. Just to be clear correct. as to who he is, yeah.
1: And and told a great story about how he tried to get on uh, Jim Tressel's staff as a GA, and and Tressel wasn't having anything of it because he was a Michigan player. So I thought that was a great anecdote he shared. But the other thing that he shared was that their approach in, in Ann Arbor to this game is basically, if there's a contest you don't want to lose, it's the Michigan State game. If there's a game you want to win, it's the Ohio State game. And hmm. partly because of this, I actually went through Michigan's game notes this week to see how many times they referred to Ohio State as their rival, as opposed to how many times they <laughs> <laughs> referred to Michigan State as their rival. And it was 6-3, and three in ohio state's favor but you know you would expect ohio state to get a few more mentions being that this is the week that those two teams play so i I don't know the game notes would almost indicate that they are viewed fairly similarly up north so uh that's that's the approach they appear to be taking and interestingly enough most of the michigan people that i've been in contact with this week you would think you know if if Ryan Day were to lose his first five games against Michigan, what do you think the reaction would be in Columbus? He
0: wouldn't. He wouldn't get to six.
1: No, but Harbaugh is apparently not on a hot seat, um, so that I found very interesting too. I
0: yes, uh, Michigan has played much better in the past four and a half games than they did at the beginning of the season. But if you lose ugly to Ohio State again. And then mm-hmm. if you come out and lay an egg in a bowl game against a quality opponent, that seat might get hot faster than people anticipate. And I don't think he's going to get fired. Well, I agree. I, I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. I'm not arguing with you, but I, I think that that seat could get so hot that he might find himself um having his agent reach out about potential NFL openings. I don't think that he's ever going to get fired at Michigan, at least not anytime soon, but I could see him exploring opportunities in the pro game uh, if things get a little more hairy uh in Ann Arbor over the next few weeks and months, but we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's super interesting. I, I think that you can only imagine that there will be a bit of a, a letdown in terms of the intensity once you lose urban Meyer. But as we've talked about before, and you said, Laurie, Ryan day has a different kind of intensity than urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. It's a more focused, it's a more professional mentality. It feels like to me. And if, that's able to translate onto the field. I think it also helps that Ohio State just has better players than Michigan. Um, at least, you know, from the recruiting standpoint, they have far more blue chippers than Michigan does. Uh, it, I think it makes a difference. And if, if, if Ryan Day is able to start his coaching career off with a win against Michigan, Man, that's got to that's bring a, a lot of angst to the people in the hallowed halls in Ann Arbor. But we will see what happens later today. I am very much excited about it. Um, I know everybody listening to this is as well. Um, so I really appreciate all of the insights you were able to give us on the game, Lori.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I really appreciate it.
0: Don't forget to tune in to the best Buckeye coverage on your radio dial on 610 WTVN before and after the game. We will be back with a look inside the numbers and a prediction after this short break. Ohio State's rival is the only team in the Big Ten that the Buckeyes have a losing record against at 50-58-6. However, as our Jim Baird discussed in his latest episode of I Want to Go Back in this very podcast feed, 100 years ago, the series shifted following World War I, and since then, OSU is 50, 46, and 4. The Buckeyes current seven game winning streak is tied for their longest winning streak in series history. It matches the run from two thousand four through two thousand ten. So the only loss that Ohio State has in the past fifteen years against that team up north came in the lost season of two thousand eleven when interim head coach Luke Fickle fell forty to thirty-four. Furthermore, the Buckeyes are 16-2 in the series since Jim Tressel became head coach in Columbus in 2001. Of course, that means that the Mason Blow's current head coach, Screech Powers' cousin Jim Harbaugh, is 0-4 in his tenure coaching at his alma mater. And just in case you were counting, it is now officially 2,926 days since the Weasels won in the series. Looking at the analytics, as they have been for half of the season, Ohio State remains number one in ESPN's Bill Connolly's SP Plus Advanced Analytics rankings, and are still the only team in college football with both their offensive and defensive units in the top five. The offense is fifth, and the defense is first. Alabama's offense is third, and their defense is sixth, while Clemson's offense is sixth, and defense is third. Ohio State's special teams is 18th in the country. SP Plus has OSU's rival at number ten, with their offense coming in at twenty-sixth and their defense at fifth. The analytic system has Ohio State projected to win the game thirty to nineteen, with a seventy-four percent win probability. Like SP Plus, Football Outsiders F Plus has OSU at number one and their opponent at tenth. The college football nerds' computer model has Ohio State winning 31 to 15, with the Buckeyes having much more success moving the ball. In my new favorite way to waste hours upon hours on the internet, NCAA GameSim.com has Ohio State winning by an average score of 29.4 to 16.2, thanks to 6,148 simulations. The Buckeyes have won 78.9 percent of those sims, or 4,852 times, and won by more than 20 points in 35. 7% of them or just under 2,200 Sims, while the Scarlet and Gray only lost by 20 points in 2.7% of the simulations. The yellow and blue are led by senior transfer quarterback Shea Patterson, who has thrown for 2,523 yards and 21 touchdowns this season with a 59.5% completion percentage. While his yardage is good for third in the Big Ten, his completion percentage is eighth among qualifying quarterbacks, and his passer rating is sixth. He has also thrown five interceptions on the season. As Lori discussed, their leading rusher is freshman Zach Charbonnet, who has gone for 635 yards on 132 carries for a 4.8 yards per carry average and 11 touchdowns on the ground. Through the air, they are statistically led by Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell, who each have over 600 yards receiving. Collins leads the team with seven touchdowns and a nearly 21 yards per reception average. Having missed the first two games of the season, Donovan Peoples-Jones only has 335 yards receiving, but has collected five TDs on the year. On defense, the Muskrats are led by senior linebacker Kalik Hudson, who has 88 tackles on the campaign, which is good for fourth in the Big Ten. They also have two players with double-digit tackles for loss, junior defensive lineman Quiddy Pay with 11, and senior linebacker Josh O'Shea with 11.5, including a team-leading 7.5 sacks. Now before I get to my prediction for the game I want to run through the game times for some of the day's biggest non-Buckeye contests on this 2019 rivalry week. At 3:30 Ohio State's Big Ten Championship game opponent will be decided on ABC as number 12 Wisconsin visits number 8 Minnesota in the clash for Paul Bunyan's axe. Quick did you know from 1930 to 1943 the two teams played for a wooden trophy called the Slab of Bacon. I prefer that rivalry trophy. Anyway, at the same time, the Iron Bowl will be on CBS with number five Alabama visiting number fifteen Auburn. Number two LSU will host Texas A&M on ESPN at 7 p.m. and at 8 p.m. Bedlam will unfold on Fox as number seven Oklahoma visits number twenty one Oklahoma State. The Pac-12 after dark game that could get funky is Arizona versus Arizona State on ESPN at 10 p.m. And if you can stay up late enough, or if you take a nap, Army at Hawaii should be fun at midnight over on CBS Sports Network. Okay, back to Ohio State. I've made a couple of predictions, both on one of our Friday podcasts and in a q and I did with our sister site, Maze and Brew. They were slightly different, but in the same ballpark. But I reserved the right to keep my official pick until I recorded this podcast, and I'm going to increase Ohio State's margin of victory. With weather no longer likely to have an impact on the game, I think that we will see a much more well-rounded offensive approach than we did last week against Penn State. I obviously think that the game plan will be predicated on the success of J.K. Dobbins and, to a lesser degree, Justin Fields running the ball, but I do expect that Ryan Day will have some wrinkles in the passing game to fluster his former Boston College colleague, Don Brown. I think that Dobbins will run for 135 yards and three scores, while Fields will chip in 55 yards and a score of his own on the ground. The sophomore QB will also throw for 225 yards and a pair of touchdowns. On defense, Chase Young, who will get a pair of sacks, and the entire defensive line will be able to get pressure on Patterson and will disrupt his ability to throw the ball. So, admittedly wearing my scarlet and gray-colored glasses, I will pick OSU 45, that team up north, 17. Alright, that's all we have for today. As always, Land Grant Holy Land will have you covered before, during, and after the game. I will be matching buttons on Twitter during the contest, so please follow along and share your thoughts at Land Grant 33, your social media home for all of Land Grant Holy Land's Ohio State news, analysis, and sarcasm. You can follow our friend Lori Schmidt on Twitter at Lori Schmidt and her station at 610WTVN News. I am on Twitter personally at BWWMATT as well. And if you are not already, please subscribe to Land Grant Holy Land's one of a kind podcast network, where we not only bring you unique news, interviews, and analysis, but we've also got perspectives on sports and Buckeyes unlike any other OSU podcast around. So, with all of that out of the way, there's only one thing left to say Go Bucks.